Hey, what's going on, everybody? You're listening to The Sane Show. I'm your host, Cliff. And today, I have a special guest of mine, my spiritual leader, Reverend Lorenzo Small Sr. How you doing, Rev? Man, I'm doing good, man. I'm honored to be on your show. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know we we talked about this quite a while ago, so finally you know, got around to it and, you know, have you on the show. So I'm, I'm super excited and you know, really looking forward to the conversation that we're going to have today. Absolutely. So really quick, before I introduce the topics, I wanted to do a quick shout out to all of the listeners across the world in all 60 plus countries. Thank you guys for continuing to show your support for the same show and continuing to like, share, subscribe. And if you're listening and you don't follow us already, be sure to check us out on Instagram and Twitter at the same underscore show again that same s-a-n-e underscore show on instagram and twitter and then you can find us on facebook the same show again on facebook that's the same show so today we're going to be talking about christianity in the modern age we're also going to talk about the state of the church following that we're going to have an interview with you rev so the listeners can learn more about you your journey and all the cool things that go along with that as well so let's go ahead and hop right into it. So, you know, we were having a conversation about this prior to the recording. And when I was planning this out, you know, one of the things I was thinking about is, is like, you know, it'd be cool to have a conversation with you about Christianity in the church in the current age with entertainment, technology, and how that has affected the church, especially what comes to mind for me, gospel music. And mm-hmm. then televangelism and you know again technology you know incorporating video and all the other kind of cool stuff and and then just seeing how the church has been affected and how it has adapted with all of this stuff going on around the church so gospel music you know you look at you got all these these groups there's so many from you know kirk franklin mary mary and it's great because they're spreading the message but then i think about too okay is that really helping the cause you see where i'm going with that yeah, I understand like, exactly where you're going. Mm-hmm. And our, because, you know, one of the things I think about, again, we, we talk about what the reason people do it for, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is, are they trying to spread the gospel? <laughs> is it just, is, or is it just for the money? You know, like, it, it, not to say that everybody's, you know, doing it for the money, nobody's doing it for a good reason, but, you know, it's just always something that I wonder, right? And so I, I just want to get your thoughts as a, as a pastor and a spiritual leader on some of those things. Well, I, you know, I appreciate your perspective and I appreciate the question. It's kind of a mixed bag for me. In one sense, I understand the need to propagate the gospel through different channels. On the other sense, I've been quite perplexed by the phenomenon I like to call in the church of celebrity. Some say, well, that's not a phenomenon. But when you think about the church, you think about why the church exists It is quite perplexing now that you have many celebrities within the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And this has been a result of a result of gospel music and how gospel music has exploded. The result of technology. And and now you have, you know, multiple personalities um, reaching millions of people. In one sense, it's great for the gospel. In the other sense, it does create all sorts of temptations. Right. Um, I know that's a word that's probably not popular in our um, modern age, but that's what it presents. It presents temptation. It presents temptation to adapt and to bring a lot of the world into 
the church. And so you see a lot of that with these gospel artists, the way the way they present themselves, the way they speak, the way they go about their their ministry. But I've always taken the position, ultimately, the goal is to bring glory to the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I've been much more compassionate and understanding that, you know, sometimes you have to take the good with the bad. But I do think in many ways it has been problematic. And I think the most clear way for me is this idea of gospel celebrities. I struggle with that. Mm-hmm. And, so, Go ahead. And, and so for me, I, that's the push I see with the modern age. You know, how do we continue to be faithful to the mission that God has given us and at the same time manage and all of this stuff that's now being thrown at us, right? Technology, as you mentioned, it is great. We need it. How do we utilize it in a faithful way? And and how do we keep from adapting to the world's way as we seek to share the message? I agree. You, you bring up a great point. You know, we're talking about uh, church and celebrity, right? Mm-hmm. And especially I'm a millennial. I'm all over social media. We have crisis like the one we're experiencing now. And we've had them before. And one of the things that's top of mind for me is when I see people, you know, they're sharing memes and they're they're coming for these celebrity pastors mm-hmm. and that have these millions of dollars. Some of them drive, you know, riding around in private jets, fancy cars, living in big homes and people asking the question, OK, you're a pastor who's all over television every Sunday speaking in some of these news outlets. You got all this money. Where are you in account? And I, and I think most recently, a lot of people like to go after, you know, Joel Osteen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he got the big church down there in Texas. And, you know, a lot of people were coming after him about hurricane victims and not opening his doors and this, that, and the third. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and accuse him of anything. I don't know the exact details of what happened and what he's been doing and not doing because I don't really follow him that much. But just, just using him as an example of, like, people liking to come after him. And that's one of the things. I think about when I think about some of those who I would say have propagated the the religion and being able to do all these great things for themselves and brings the question to me, well, what are they doing when nobody's watching? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they're not it's, putting on yeah. a show. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, there's this constant struggle of, of determining when it's too much, too much. I hope that makes mm-hmm. sense. Right. As a pastor, I, you know, I pastor a, a modest congregation. I'm thankful to God for the vineyard he's given me. First United Presbyterian Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. We're about 160 members. And, and in one sense, I recognize the, the call and I think the biblical instruction to care for the pastor. I, I believe that is biblical to ensure that the pastor um, has a, a, a living wage by which pastor can not only um, address his or her physical needs, but the needs of, of his or her family. I think there's a responsibility that the congregation has to the pastor in that sense. But there is a point when it becomes lavish and excessive. And you say you take someone like Joe Osteen. I don't know Joe Osteen all that well. I, I know course of his ministry. And then mm-hmm. I understand the how successful his ministry has been and really how successful he has been as a pastor. And I know he writes books and he draws a lot of his income from his own personal endeavors. But then you have many others that are very lavish in their lifestyle, Bentleys and private jets and mansions. And 
You know, I've struggled with that too, CJ. Where does a pastor draw the line? Because ultimately, we represent our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to be very clear. I don't believe God has an issue with wealth. Scripture says that he gives us the ability to get wealth. Mm -hmm. But I do understand the danger of wealth, how easily it becomes our God. And when I think about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who really had nothing, who, for, who forwent everything in order to walk amongst his creation. You know, he was a nomad, right? He didn't have a home. <laughs> he, uh, he, he told in one story in scripture, he tells one um, seeker, you sure you want to follow me? I have no place to lay my head. Even, you know, the foxes, you know, have holes and the birds have nests. You know, there is this sense of call to Christ that beckons us to lay aside worldly luxuries and, and, and comforts. And so I think a pastor always has to be grappling and, and wrestling with that. When is too much too much? Because what we don't want to do is to put ourselves in a position where our witness is being questioned. Our integrity is being questioned. And, and individuals start to ask, what's the genuineness of his or her commitment to the gospel? All right, we're back. Now we're going to go into the next segment, the state of the church. This is always something that's being discussed. And maybe because I'm older and you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm more aware of things. And so, but it, I'm pretty sure it's always been an ongoing conversation. It just feels like with me being older and in the day that we live in now, in the, in the society that we live in, it's like constant topic of conversation. I just think that this is a very, and again, me as a millennial, I feel like this more so than ever, this is a very interesting time mm. that we're in. With the changes that we continue to witness within society and the church having to adapt and with that, on top of all of that, you know, we're we're in the middle of a pandemic right now, so yes. no no gatherings of any sort at the <laughs> moment. <laughs> and you know, seeing how the how the church has had to adapt to that, and obviously it relates to our last segment a little bit. We talk about technology and all the other kind of stuff that the you know, churches are implementing to still uh, reach the people. And so, I want one of the questions I wanted to ask you. And I'm pretty sure you, you get asked this a lot, but you know, as, as a pastor, you know, how do you feel that the church has adapted to the current society? Mm. That's a great question, right? You know, I, I was sharing with someone recently, um, CJ, you know, that the one word that defines life for me is change. And the one institution that has struggled with this reality, in my opinion, more than any other is the church. It's, it's something about the nature of our faith and the nature of faith in and of itself that compels us to hold on to what has become so familiar to us. And so the church has struggled with, with adapting. You know, I've always had the philosophy, the message doesn't change, but the vehicle, the method must. And the church has, has struggled with that. You know, you think about the vast majority of churches in this country, I would say many of us are behind the eight ball as it concerns this pandemic because we just refuse to adapt to the technology around us. We refuse to put it in place. Things like streaming and Wi-Fi and, and, and monitors, really putting ourselves ahead of, 
a situation such as this. And for those ministries that embrace technology, they're on firm footing right now because they still have the ability and means to reach not only their immediate congregation, but to the masses that are now looking and tuning in to churches because they need hope. I mean, things are tough. Uh, We don't know what the future holds. This thing has really put us in an unfamiliar place. And so as it concerns adapting, the church struggles with that. I must be honest. It struggles with that. And that has that's not only evident now in the midst of this pandemic. I mean, that has been evident with the younger generation. I mean, the reality is we haven't really been as faithful as I believe we could have been in addressing things that are very relevant to them and integrating them into the life and leadership of the church. And many churches are struggling as a result of that. And so the church struggles, man, with with change. It it struggles with change. We fight it. We want to hold on to mama and daddy's traditions. We're all vigor. And in many cases, we are willing to go to the grave in doing so. (laughs) That's so so true. And it's it's very disheartening. It really is. And, you know, I, you know, again, I'm a millennial. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I I see my peers and what they think and I see what people say and you know it's like man the, the church could adapt it doesn't have to be like this <laughs> have a have a conversation about it and it's almost like it's it's almost similar to to, to politics almost really oh when you, wow <laughs> when you look at the political leaders and how they are refusing to make some of the adjustments and meet some of the demands of the younger generation but it's like well and not to say it's that extreme though with the church you know we're not mm-hmm. we're not we're not asking anybody to pay <laughs> our student loan debt <laughs> you know like but it's is but it's literally like it's just those things because me personally i think it's a thing of like look the, the times are changing you know not we're not asking you to drop everything and do this we're just asking you to uh, you know make a few accommodations here and there well one of the well see i think you make a great point and this is how i would challenge millennials so so Mm -hmm. i've I've been very upfront about my transparency concerning at least my perspective that i don't think the church has done a a great job in really adapting and i would be hard-pressed for any other pastor who's really being transparent to say that the church has. Now, you're going to have pockets of where many churches have, right? So, you know, I'm speaking in general terms. I mean, there are many examples of churches that have turned the corner, so to speak. But I think the vast majority of our churches, as you think about mainline America, mainline Protestantism, Protestantism, we've struggled. But I think one of the reasons we struggled is because millennials in many sense, I think in a great sense, have simply just abandoned the church, right? You think about change. It is hard for the individuals closest to the heart of any organization to be able to see and recognize what needs to be changed. It always takes new blood coming in to recognize the obvious. But what happens oftentimes is that, that at least in my experience, the millennial generation is very impatient. And two, they become very uncomfortable with, with, with pushback. If we're going to change and adapt, uh, we have to do this together. And I don't think the millennial generation can stand on the outside looking in telling, you know, the older generation, hey, make these changes, then we'll come back. 
Think about how that sounds. You, you got these individuals who have committed, who are committed to their faith. They're committed to the ministry. They're committed to the mission of that particular congregation. And it's going to be very hard for them to receive a message from any entity that they see as on the outside telling them what to do on the inside. I think millennials have to plant themselves. They have to get engaged because the only way change happens is they have to be at the table. And as a pastor, I can tell you, I've been quite frustrated by the reality of the pool. And this is what I mean by the pool. In one sense, I have the older generation, the traditionalist pooling. I have the, the millennials pooling and everyone is vying for my allegiance, right? Where's pastor going to land? And the reality is I'm the pastor of the entire congregation. And so as the pastor, I have to consider all perspectives. I have to consider the needs of the entire body. I just can't consider the needs of one segment of the body. That's no different than our bodies, right? If I'm only concerned about my feet, the rest of my body is going to be in trouble, right? I'm concerned about my entire body. So when my hand is hurting, I don't ignore that. When my foot is hurting, I don't ignore that. I have concern for my entire body. And we have to have that same perspective when it comes to the church. And so my challenge to millennials would be, I understand your frustration. Trust me, as a pastor, I'm a young pastor. You know, I understand your frustration. I'm kind of stuck in between, right, CJ, right? I, I, I've come on the back end of the millennial generation. So I grew up in the age of the rotary phone, but I also was on the beginning of the cell phone era. So I understand technology, yeah. but I also understand when you had the uh, rotary phone. So I've seen both sides. And so I'm kind of in the middle. And so I challenge millennials by telling them, one, don't give up. Don't lose hope. But at the same time, you got to get engaged. If, if we're going to change, if we're going to build something that's going to be lasting, that's going to speak to the needs of the entire body, we need that segment of the body at the table. Right. That's true. And that speaks true to not just the church, but just any, everything else. Yeah. From politics to even in business, you got to get involved. You got to have a seat at the table and you got to band together and uniting be a stronger voice you know and make you know make yourselves make ourselves heard so absolutely and you hit on that and that's what really that's what really prompted that response when you talked about politics i see how millennials engage in politics yeah i see how they've engaged in the black lives matter movement and all types of movements in this country how they ban and and how they 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 gather around a common cause, and I and I wonder for 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 millennials who who have who was raised up in the faith, who their faith is still important and relevant to them. How do we encourage them to do the same thing in the church? Do it in a loving, but consistent and persistent way, instead of just leaving. And the reality is, you know how that is. If you leave, nothing changes. I mean, All if you right. leave, when you come back, it's going to be in most cases. <laughs> the same way you left it. And so yeah. I just want to encourage millennials. I understand the frustration. Trust me, I hear it all the time. But I clear as a young pastor, I need you at the table. All right, we're back. Now for the interview, get ready to ask you some questions, Rev, so the listeners can learn more about you, your journey, and all the cool stuff that goes along with that. I swear these shows go by really fast. <laughs> <laughs> they do. <laughs> yeah. So my first question to you is, what would you say to aspiring pastors? Wow. That, that's a great question, right? You know, that word, aspiring, right? You know, as I think yeah. about my journey, CJ, you know, growing up, 
you know, I never wanted to be a pastor. And so, you know, I didn't sit around my living room or in the pew of the church <laughs> thinking, wow, one day I want to do that. I mean, it, yeah. it was it was the first thing, you know, from my mind. But I believe and, you know, it, it is a calling. I know we'll talk a little more about that. But if I was talking to a young pastor, someone who felt that they were being called to to this to this vocation, I would say just that. Be certain you have been called. Before I became a pastor, you know, I, I recognized some of the, the roles I had in the church. Right, I was a deacon for a while. And, and I remember, you know, how in awe I would be of, of my pastor, very gifted speaker, very gifted preacher. And in that sense, as I was discerning the call, you know, there, it's attractive looking at this individual standing behind this pulpit that wields so much, uh, that commands so much attention, right? And has so mm-hmm. much inf- uh, affluence. So it can, it can seem very attractive. But what most people don't know is that when you stand up on Sunday morning to preach, that's a very small part of what it means to be a pastor. I mean, that's a very small part. I mean, you're talking about the average worship service in our church is an hour and 15 minutes. So you think about a 50-hour work week. I spend an hour and 15 minutes in worship. And of that hour and 15 minutes, my average sermon is, what, 25 minutes. So if you think about the number of hours you spend in this vocation, and I'm not talking about just your standard work hours. Don't add in the hours you spend sitting in the hospitals with those that are sick and the hospitals with those that are dying, sitting in the homes of those who have lost loved ones. If you Mm. think about it in the scheme of things, if you are feeling called to this vocation because of a 25-minute segment you have been all by on Sunday morning, you're setting yourself up for failure. As a matter of fact, it's going to become a very dangerous proposition for you. And so I would tell a young pastor, make sure you're being called to this, because there's so much more that happens in between Sundays that will require all of you. So if it's simply about the preaching, you can be a preacher without being a pastor. You know, I think about Ephesians 4 verses 11 through 16, when Paul goes through this, he explains how God has ordered the church. And he says he has given some apostles, some teachers, some evangelists, some pastors. He talks about all of the different offices and roles in in the care of Christ's church. Pastor is just one role of of several. And and here's the the push. Oftentimes people think that the the role of pastor is the only role or the most important role. I think the role of pastor has significance in the life of the congregation, but it's not the end all. So what good is a pastor if you don't have people to pastor? What good is a pastor if you don't have those standing alongside you to to serve in the ministry with you? And so I would tell an aspiring pastor first, make sure that you're called to this because you can be a preacher, you can be a teacher, you can even be an evangelist and be able to stand up and proclaim the gospel and not be a pastor. Being a pastor involves the caring of people. And I'm talking about people who come from all walks of life, who bring all sorts of issues and experiences to the table, people who have varying agendas. And you have to be called to this vocation. I believe that with all my heart. The second thing I would tell them, CJ, is this. Develop and hone your spiritual disciplines. Prayer, study of God's word, meditation, and contemplation. Prayer, study of God's word, meditation, and contemplation. And I think 
too often we don't spend enough time in these things to ensure that we are prepared to fulfill the role of pastor. I cannot stress the importance of prayer, absolutely the study of God's word, right? Because a pastor has to do more than preach. A pastor has to teach. A pastor has to counsel. And we need to be versed in God's word, deeply in God's word. And with that, you have to meditate. You have to take time to sit in your quiet place and meditate on that which God has revealed to you through his word by the Holy Spirit, as well as contemplation. And I really think contemplation is important because it's when you really take the time to, to survey, not just the ministry, not just your effectiveness in the ministry, but to survey your own walk, right? Because remember, as a pastor, I'm simply preaching and teaching and encouraging those that I serve um, to mimic our teacher, our master, who is Jesus Christ. But that goes for me as well. And I must make sure that I'm being as faithful as possible under the power of the Holy Spirit, faithful as possible to the teachings of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that I might be a faithful example to those that God has called me to serve. Okay. So how tough was it for you leaving corporate America to answer the call? Oh, man. You know, I did very well in corporate America, CJ. I, I, I was very blessed. Um, I've been, my last job that I had before I entered into full-time ministry was probably the best job of my career. I was a director for healthcare and healthcare, urgent care services for Carolina's healthcare system. Um, I had responsibility for the West Division, Division of Urgent Care Services. So I managed the entire West Division. I had great team members. I had great managers working with me. I had great doctors and physician assistants, nurses, all sorts of healthcare professionals working with me. I had a great boss. And to be honest, CJ, I was making great money, man. <laughs> I was making <laughs> great. I was making great money. And listen, you know, I don't know about anyone else, but I didn't get into ministry for money. I mean, the reality mm -hmm. is, when I entered into full-time ministry, I left a lot of money on the table. And so I get asked this question quite often: How could you do it? How could you walk away from such a great career? And the way I respond to that is, how could I tell God no? That was the the push point for me. I knew God was calling me to this. And as a man of faith, how could I tell the God of the universe, the sovereign one, well, no, things are too good over here. You know, and so I had been positioning myself, me and my wife, right? Because here again, you know, back to that other question, I would tell pastors, remember, when you, when you are called, your spouse is called. And so if you have a spouse that's not feeling it, you really need to contemplate whether or not God is calling you to this vocation. I thank God for my wife, CJ. I, I couldn't have done what I did at that time without her and her support. And she's been marching alongside me from the very beginning. And so this calling is as much her calling as it is mine. Trust me on that. I could not do what I do day in and day out if my wife had not embraced the call as well. And so we knew that this day was coming. Um, I knew God, when I accepted my call to ministry, I knew God was positioning me to full-time ministry, to be a pastor. And I knew that that day would come, but I did not know when. And so when the day came, I was prepared. And that required me to change my way of living, right? 
I had to let go of that lavish lifestyle. You know, I was a man of, of high taste, man. <laughs> CJ, man, Gucci, Louis Vuitton, custom suits, luxury cars. True story. As a matter of fact, in my first call, I remember when I started, I had a Lexus. Um, when I took that call, I sold that car. I sold that car, and I was driving a Honda Civic. I remember we had a Honda Civic, and I was driving a Honda Civic. And I remember one of my members coming to me, and it was a young man. He said, Rev, man, I knew you were serious about this when you sold your Lexus. He said, I knew you were serious about this when you sold that Lexus. He said, man, I don't know if I could have done that. Right? And so, you know, you, <laughs> you'd be surprised how people are watching you, CJ, when you make these types of decisions, right? Mm -hmm. And I, won't, I will never forget that conversation. Uh, it was actually that same young man that asked me, how could I walk away? How did I do it? And at the end of the day, it was really a call. And I couldn't say no. And because I knew the call was coming, me and my wife started making some very good financial decisions that positioned us to be able to walk away from corporate America. Wow, wow, wow. Talk about humbling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, my final question to you, uh, what, do you, what do you believe is the biggest threat to the church right now? Oh, wow. I, you know, that's a good question. And one word comes to my mind, distraction. Distraction. Mm. I believe the church is distracted. I believe that with all my heart. I believe we have people in many congregations that, that have greater intentions. They really want to serve our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. You know, I don't have a, I'm an optimist, CJ. I, I don't have a, a, a pessimistic outlook of the church. I have a very, mm -hmm. I really have a very uh, positive outlook of the church. You know, like any organization, like we have our quirks. You know, the church is filled with people who, who struggle with their brokenness. I mean, that's just the reality of the church. But I have a very um, optimistic outlook on the church. I do, because I believe what Christ has willed for his church will come to pass. I have no doubt. There's no doubt in my mind that what Christ has willed, what God has willed for his church will come to pass. But I do believe today, in our um, current age, the church is distracted. And it's this, this distraction that is wreaking havoc to, your, to our early portion of our talk, it is distraction that has kept us from adapting. We're distracted. And distraction always leads to um, pursuits that lead us away from the mission, right? They lead us away from the mission. And because we haven't kept the mission at the center of what we do and why we exist, many fellowships have struggled. They've struggled to reach the younger generation. They, they've struggled to adapt with the change in technology. They have struggled to really be a, a place of worship that addresses that which is relevant today because we're distracted. And I think that's the biggest threat to Christ church. And, and I believe distraction is the chief tool of the enemy, right? I do believe in Satan. Right? I don't think he's a fairy tale. I think he's real. Scripture says so. And I believe distraction is his primary tool. If he can keep us distracted, he can keep us divided. If he keeps us divided, he keeps us from attending to the mission. Amen. Amen. Amen, brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Rev, before I let you go, you know, definitely let the listeners know where they can find you and you know, stay, stay on top of what you got going on and uh, you know, continue to hear the word through you as a vessel oh man well thank you for the opportunity to be on the show man i am honored and i wish you well 
in this pursuit, and I thank you for taking the time to to engage with me, it has been a true joy. You know, you can follow me several ways. Uh, I'm the pastor of First United Presbyterian Church, located in the heart of Uptown Charlotte. You can find us on Facebook at First United Charlotte. You can find us on Instagram at FUPC Charlotte. Once again, Instagram, FUPC Charlotte. You can also follow me on Facebook, Lorenzo Small Senior. On Instagram, I'm Lorenzo underscore Small Senior. And my Twitter feed, Truth at Rev Small. Look me up. I would love to hear from you. You guys heard them. Be sure to check them out. And if you are in the area, be sure to stop by First United Presbyterian Church on the corner of 7th and College in the heart of Uptown Charlotte. <laughs> and that, that just rolls off the cone. <laughs> Thank you. I, I didn't get the address, did I? I appreciate that. No, you're good. <laughs> you, are, you are good. It's all good. Um, you know, again, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come on the show. Enjoy the conversation as I always do. Yeah, thank you again. Definitely have to have you back on sometime in the future. Absolutely. And you guys are listening to the same show, the show about nothing and everything. And until next time, we're out. Peace.